0: If I could have you stand as we prepare to read God's Word together. You can turn in your Bibles to Haggai. If you want to know how to get to Haggai, the prophet Haggai writes a, is a short prophecy. Uh, right before you get to the uh, beginning of the New Testament, you can back up a few prophets and then you'll find Haggai. If you're in the correct version of the Bible, it's on page 791. <laughs> before we read that... Um, Sometimes in the life of the church, it so happens that the preacher and the message that was originally planned, it just changes in God's providence. And we truly believe it's God's providence when that happens. I'm not here to try to convince you that this word is for today. Although there's some unique things about what's happened. Ricky uh, talked to me on Thursday morning. I reached out to me, and let me know what was happening. I immediately was filled with faith. Um... And we normally go through several things. We're making this kind of transition, and I was in faith to preach a whole brand new message. I had recently preached, the, prepared, and preached this message for the first time in the Tucson church, our team-related church in Tucson. And uh, so I let Ricky know I had I had recently, you know, put this one together. Ricky immediately was filled with faith. He felt like, and uh, I agree with him, and we. Finally, agreed in God's providence. The right thing to do is to preach this message out of Haggai chapter 2 because of where it meets us as a church. As we consider our love and desire to continue to work and serve this church, we talk about membership today. We talk about the difficulties that we've recently been through, much less what we're going to discuss here in just a little while. And uh, in the faith that the passage preaches to the soul. After the message, after I preached this message this morning, a unique thing happened, which to me, I still feel like a little kid when these things happen uh, on these matters, and it still needs to be validated, but two people came up to me after the service and said, Tom, are you aware that actually the date in the study notes for where we're going to be, where we preach today out of Haggai chapter 2 is October 17th? So I just privately just started laughing. I thought the Lord is sovereign over the universe. He certainly is sovereign over the calendar being used in the United States in the 22nd, 21st century. Sorry, I leaped ahead a little bit. The Lord is sovereign over this. Let's trust that what God's word has to say has been his intent for today. Let's trust that. Now let's read God's word, Haggai chapter 2. I'll provide some context after we read this, after we sit down. Verse 1 through 9, Haggai 2. In the seventh month and on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory. How do you see it now? It is it as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray together. Father, we trust in your sovereign rule over the universe, and that includes the shifting of the planned preaching today. And so we entrust ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, we are desperate for your presence. If you do not move in our midst, we have nothing without you. But the joy is the promise that when we gather, you're with us. And so, lift our hearts and hope that you have made yourself known during the preaching of this word. Magnify the Son of God, Jesus Jesus, you receive the glory as we move through the text this morning. Let us hear from the prophet Haggai about you all the more. Let our hearts soar in amazement and surprise at your goodness to your people. Let those that are present, that are without you, be saved by you. Move mercifully and save those that are present at the hearing of your word. Let them see their desperate state without you. And those that belong to you, when we find ourselves discouraged, ashamed, grieving, lift us up and remind us again of your goodness to us before, your goodness to us now, and your promised faithful goodness to us tomorrow. Jesus, you be glorified. Amen. You may be seated. So look, I don't know what is wrong with people when they meet me. Starting many years ago, the presumption is if you're new to me, you presume that I like country music, and I have no idea why. I don't know if it's because I'm like, you know, a white guy with a beard. Who, of course he loves country music. Look at him. Or if it was because there for a while I had a Western belt. That doesn't make you a lover of country music. I'll tell you what I, why I did did love country music. I grew up hearing it a lot. I can hear the ring of my dad's guitar in the home. It had bluegrass in his blood. It's in my blood. My mom's like, Amen, brother, preach it. She's here, by the way, if you're wondering, why is he talking about his mom? Uh, also, my oldest brother David has to be a savant when it comes to guitar. And so, YouTube later, not now, Chet Atkins, and that's the way my brother plays. And it's shocking. And so I grew up loving and feeling and being moved by country music. That was then. I do not like country music anymore. Maybe a little, but mostly no. You know what ruined country music for me? Vince already knows the answer. He's still laughing. You know what ruined country music for me? Disco. Disco ruined country music for me. You're wondering, why did you give up on all those great country what we- because of Casey and the Sunshine Band, that's why. <laughs> the latter glory is always better than the former glory. Right? Now, mom, you know why I don't like country music as much. Disco. And a few other reasons. You know when we approach this topic. It's clear from the text. There is a former glory and a future glory discussed in the text. So I just humorously talk about, you know, the the latter always replaces the former. That's always better. But there is something magnificent about what's actually revealed in this text. There is a radical shift from the former glory, which is shockingly gracious in the first place, and yet what's coming, what has come, and what is coming is all the more glorious. And we get to discover that from this prophet Haggai, who's called to the people during this time. You know, we're going to sing right at the end of the message this phrase, bind my wandering heart to thee. Why do we sing phrases like that? Well, we sing phrases like, bind my wandering heart to thee, because we find ourselves often in that place, wandering away from the great truths of the Lord and the great encouragements of the Lord, the great mercies and the great grace of God. We have forgot about them. There's a number of reasons why we're prone to this. My heart is prone to wonder. That's why we cry out in the song we're going to sing, bind my wandering heart to thee. And in this vein, we're not so distant from the people that the word is delivered to by the mouth of Haggai. Same temptation, same struggles, sufferings, lack of faith, disillusionment, fear of tomorrow. We're just like them. Context different, struggle the same. 2020 and 2021 has been rough, but the Lord has sustained us. That's a loudest statement I want us to be encouraged in. We have been sustained through this, but it's true to say, and our text is going to reveal this all the more, 2021, 2020 and 21 alone have revealed our need for God's encouragement, but it's way beyond that. It's not just the last couple of years. You know, when we refer to the last couple of years, though, I think for some present, maybe, it's enough. I carry in my Bible now, and I don't know how long I'm going to carry it. Standing at Richard Moreno's graveside, Richard Kemp, the director of the funeral service, a dear brother in the Lord who also served Ingrid and the family in an amazing way, handed this to me. There's been many times over the years I've served at funerals like I did at Richard's. And Richard would come up to me, Richard Kemp would come up to me, and he would hand me the same type of paper. It's hand-typed on a typewriter. If the young people in the room don't know what that is, look it up on the Internet. The secretary puts this in and types out Richard's information, a little bit about Richard. And that's handed to the clergy. It's handed to the pastor. Other than maybe the dates on here. I knew these things about Richard. I bet you Ingrid could stand here and say 20, 21 was enough for me. It was enough for me to reveal my desperate need from encouragement from the Lord. But you know what? It's not just the last couple of years that we need this for. Mine started in 1964. The minute I drew my first breath, I think it was a hotel due, mom. Hotel due. I needed a Savior desperately. sat week after week after week as a young man hearing about Christ and my heart hard and cold against him until that amazing day when he saved me. Last couple of years is enough. A lifetime is certainly plenty to reveal our need for him, Well, you see the history for the Hebrews when we get to this context, maybe you're wondering, well, where are we in Haggai? What's the context? Well, here it is. The century, for centuries, the Hebrews have been languishing, being exiled, kicked out of Jerusalem, kicked out of Israel, and now off into Babylon, cut off from their homeland, dismantling of their culture, all of their traditions just being squashed, and due to their continued sinfulness, the wrath of God abides against them. God had handed them over to their enemies. They were a conquered nation. And to add to their sorrow, some presently alive, in this context, some presently alive, had actually witnessed the centerpiece of their culture and faith, Solomon's temple, utterly being destroyed. That's this house that's referred to. It's a real place it's talking about. It's the temple. Under God's righteous judgment, his just wrath revealed. And then, by only the grace of God, the pagan king Cyrus lets about 50,000 return to Jerusalem for the purpose to rebuild the temple. And so they began to build. And for two years, they worked on it and they got most of the foundation completed. And then construction halted again. That's the context. Construction of the temple during this time halted again. Centuries separated from the Lord in that sense. Centuries, no temple. Now being sent back, allowed to return and get some of the work done, they were giving up. And what's interesting there's certainly political pressure and religious pressure from the surrounding nations Samaritans do not like the fact their temple is going up Samaritans have got their own temple in mind and so on But yet the real reason is that they had turned away from God's work the real reason that they had turned away from God's work to their own was because they had turned to their own things their own property And you see that in verses 3 and following in chapter 1. If you just look back just briefly, you'll understand, oh, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? You know, Haggai has been preached over the years as a great building project kind of text. (laughs) It's real simple. It talks about buildings talks about our own homes and I think shamefully it's right to say that at times we we meaning if we've done this we've used it as a means to lay the shame and the guilt turn away from building up your own property see the kind of cars you're driving see the kind of houses you're living in well look at this place this place is a mess we really need you to give this building project that's scary to me but it's done regularly There's something, yes, preach this text for a building project, absolutely, because there's something radically better going on in this text that motivates why we would be interested in the health of the church and the building of the church and so on, but it is gospel rich. All of this is pointing towards a much greater motivation behind we would ever give one red penny to a building project. That's not what this text is about, first, And so we get to find this out as we go on. Their sins are certainly being revealed. And the Lord takes them on a particular direction. And here is the way I want to at least frame this. I'm going to frame this in two two points. The first one is looking back and looking around. Looking back and looking around. That's the first point. I know it sounds like two. But it's together, looking back and looking around. And the second one is looking forward. So it's like historically looking back and then presently looking around and the second one looking forward to our future but what's interesting is verse three let's read these words the lord's question is who is left among you who saw this house so we have this first part of looking back and looking around is looking back to the former glory you heard those in the words as we read through it looking back to the former glory and our struggle often is looking back to the glory days and we miss them. But it is here that it's possible that I could have cranked out the wrong message. In fact, my initial thinking is kind of along this wrong, but maybe a better way to say it is a truncated message, an uh, a partial message. Which by the way are deadly. Partial messages can be deadly. Take us down the wrong path. Here's what we normally do when we're preaching the preaching. I mean, we're approaching the preaching task. So, clue, if you're wondering what Ricky and what Vince and what myself and other preachers are doing, those that declare and teach God's word is we're wrestling with these, these areas that are normally revealed in the text, and we're wrestling for a Christ-centered redemptive way. And here's the way it normally would go: you would have the sin dilemma that's being met biblically by God. With a redemptive, a redemptive moment. That sinful dilemma met with a redemptive moment. And so we're wrestling with that. And we're doing that actually in the text today. There's a sinful dilemma, and we're going to meet it with this redemptive moment, but this is where the the message could go wrong. It could sound like this. Looking back, the sinful dilemma, looking back on better times with judgment and discouragement, looking around and sinfully comparing our present situation to times when things were great in the past. Hey, remember, we could go to Costco, no mask. Silly, but it's always our temptation. That's our sinful dilemma. So, And then the Redemptive moment, looking forward to better things to come. So let's get out there and get it done. And there you have a truncated message. There's something, that's happening. But there's something much better happening. The amazing thing about our text, and hopefully this will be like maybe the grander surprise this morning. I love the coin. we can talk about that a little bit later. The amazing thing about our text is the Lord is the one who brings up the past. Look again. Who's asking the question in verse 3? Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? You know, when you and I sinfully or wrongly look back at the past like, "Wow, things were really great back then." That's one thing. But if the Lord takes us, takes our soul by you know, by the hand and says, "Now I want you To look back. Oh, that's the way to look back. And it's not gonna go really well. And it's gonna go amazingly great. It's not gonna go well, but it's gonna go amazingly great. And the Lord does this to us. He's the one saying, look back. I believe the text is revealing more than he simply is just exposing our hearts, like, look back. Do you remember the former glory? Well, you're just blind. He's doing something much grander than that. Moreover, he knows our hearts of discouragement. He knows our hearts of shamefulness, but he does not coddle us. And he says, let's consider the past. Let's go back and look at this. The first question purposefully draws many in their midst, by the way, who actually recall the former glory. Solomon's temple certainly was glorious, and some alive at this time actually saw the physical structure. Go back and Study the scriptures about the building of Solomon's temple. No greater temple building was ever built than Solomon's. Even the one that comes later, the one they're working on now, is nothing like Solomon's temple. So of course, former glory was amazing, and the Lord says, "Well, well, look at that. You see the the house in its former glory, and you and I can actually come on the scene of like." Something that's broken or whatever and you're like, our memories go back. Remember how good that was? Now look at it. You know, I had this weird moment. I'm just going to say it. I used to drive by Easton Middle School and panic because I went to Easton Middle School and I hated middle school. You can talk to all my counselors and my pastors or whatever. Couldn't stand middle school. Okay, I'm overstating it. But I remember when they flattened the building, I remember driving by. And so here's the destruction of the building. And privately, I'm like, yeah, oh, thank God, those memories are gone. I don't know about you, but if you think of junior high and you're just like, oh, dear Lord, and you want to go find a hole to crawl in, that's me. Because that's actually the era that the Lord began to reveal my need for him. It was not a good good time. But the good thing is he does take me back and show me these things. And he does reveal my heart. He does reveal my brokenness and my sinfulness. He does do that, but he's doing it in a good, wholesome, do it a, a holy way and a better way than just simply taking us back. The first question purposefully draws many in their midst back to this former glory, but here is, and by the way, the context of this is they're nearing the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. So not only is he doing this, it's when he's doing this. These folks would have been leaving their existing paneled homes. They'd be outside, intentionally camping outside their homes, roughing it, remembering of God's great deeds, but remembering of God's great deeds in the wilderness while the nation was wandering around before they ever got to the promised land. And the Lord is taking them back during the Feast of Tabernacles saying, do you remember my goodness to you in the wilderness? And wow. These people in the context, they're still in it. Yeah, some have been let, sent back. You can build the temple a little bit. But this is not them coming back in a conquering way, finally getting their nation back, getting their centerpiece of worship back. No, they've been allowed to go back and begin, begin that building, and that's it. Still under the rule of another nation, granted some permission to go back and start the construction. Solomon's, great temple, had been constructed, by the way, during this same feast. So when the Lord is saying, look back, it just continues to just reveal so much about him and about us. Ian Dugan, commentator on this, writes this. The present reality seemed all too depressingly mundane, hardly able to match up to the celebrated mighty acts of God in the past. Where was the former glory? The new temple that they were building seemed an empty symbol, lacking the splendor of the former days. Now, it was simply a small cog in the plans of someone else's empire, apparently irrelevant to the flow of world events, simply just granted permission by this pagan king, Sirius. Sirius doesn't live to the end of this. Darius picks it up. They stop building. Darius comes along and he's interested in religion. So yeah, let's build this temple. It's like, whoa, I want to see that. Let's let's get that up and running. Be careful when a pagan king says, sure, you can worship freely. Watch out. (laughs) This is what's going on. They are allowed to go back only partially. But what's interesting is the Lord is saying, looking back and is encouraging them, looking back and remembering something very devastating. And I was actually surprised when I was studying through this. I thought, oh, wow. I, my view of Scripture when I'm reading is so limited sometimes. And this one, this one I would have missed without the help. Without the help of commentators, without the help of studying this one out a little bit more. Looking back and remembering, remember the former temple? There's another recollection. There are 70 and 80-year-old men and women that are presently there that knew and believed and saw or witnessed the presence of the Lord was in the Holy of Holies in that temple. And they also witnessed the departure of God's favor and his presence from the temple. He intentionally leads us back to this question to expose our hearts and acknowledge things are not the same and to help us see it's actually worse than that. I left you. Now look, God's omnipresence remains intact in the story. And we're going to get to read some prophetic language about it. So don't, don't feel like, oh, wow, the Lord left. How is that possible? No, he's still sovereignly present, but his favor and grace on this nation left them in a shocking way. Ezekiel paints this picture as the Lord speaks through the prophet Ezekiel and tells of what happens in prophetic language. Bear with the prophetic language, but hear how horrible this must have been. Verse 15 in Ezekiel chapter 10. And the cherubim mounted up, and there were the living creatures that I saw by the Chabar canal. And when the cherubim went up, the wheels went beside them. Remember the wheels. And when the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth, the wheels did not turn from side to side. And when they stood still, still, these stood stood still. And when they mounted up, these mounted up with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house, It stood over the cherubim, and the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out and the wheels beside them. More faithful understanding of the scriptures is all these wheels, as you you read in Ezekiel, this chariot is amazing. It's just got an an innumerable number of wheels. I know it sounds weird, but the imagery is this chariot can go anywhere, does go anywhere, and is everywhere. It's a description of God's nature of his omnipresence. He is everywhere present all the time. And here, his omnipresence. Well, in his omnipresence, his favor, in a blinding, glorious omnipresence of the Lord, Gathers up in a blinding light over the temple above the angels in his gracious presence that dwelled with the nation, shoots away into space, away from the temple. The Lord's Spirit left them. What a nightmare. There are other passages in Scripture that has a similar feel to it. The description for the king Saul is the spirit of the Lord left Saul, and he knew it not. What a nightmare. And I remember being a young man, a new believer, but being grabbed by the truth that could or would the Lord mount up his spirit and leave me, and I not have any clue about it. What a nightmare. And here you have the nation of Israel when the Lord is saying, look back to the former glory. Do you remember that? Has it come to nothing to you in their experience God's favor is gone from them and all they have is captivity and this is the Lord's doing he takes them back and says remember oh but he's so gracious in doing this for us you and i are often looking back But the Lord in this text also says that we look back, but we also look around. So presently, we look around at the devastation, and we see its weakness. We feel the struggle of sin. We see the former glory days seemingly, at times, comes to nothing. Consider the devastation. And the loss and the suffering that has mounted up until this time, as evil of this world has now run rampant since the garden. But God, in His great mercy, takes us back and He opens our eyes again to see His grace back then. Do you know what's in the text and can be missed is this statement. If you would look with me at verse, near the end of verse 4. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, the Lord of hosts, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, God promised them he would not leave them. So he takes them back and says, "Remember the former glory. Remember when my favor, my favored presence with you departed? I have not departed from you. I've been with you even since then. Now look now, I am still with you." And what a huge encouragement for you and I that when you and I look back and we look around now that the Lord now is going to point us forward into this point too. The Lord's questions to us admits the ruin and yet is intended to lift our eyes to his great promised salvation that began continues and will forevermore continue. Maybe it's better we could say for the second point, instead of just looking forward, we're looking forward now. So in other words, if the first one is that we're looking back now, we're looking forward now. We're looking forward now. Let's see now what he has to say because the very next statement when you get in chapter six is, for the for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while. Remember those two phrases as we break them out, yet Now, in this very moment of looking back, looking around, in this very moment of remembering the former glory and devastation before, seeing that the present things have come to nothing, I am with you. According to the covenant that I made with you, according to the gospel promise that I made with you, I'm with you. My spirit remains in your midst. I love this. I read Spurgeon on this one verse. Spurgeon comments on this one verse, my spirit remains with you, meaning right now the Lord is with us. And Spurgeon writes this, I pray that our text may this morning flame from the Lord's own mouth with all the fire which once blazed about it. My faint heart. Hearts may faint hearts be encouraged and drowsy spirits be aroused as we hear the Lord say, My spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. I have never left you, and I will never leave you. My spirit remains in your midst. I was with you then, I am with you now, and I will be with you forevermore. And so we have the yet now, but also in the little while. So now we see that yet once more, in a little while. I love the, the, the close proximity of the field of the text. Yet now, and in a little while, yet now, in a little while, after looking back and looking around, the Lord mercifully and graciously calls us to look forward. Let's look forward. I will create a new heaven and earth. Sound familiar? That's actually not in this text. That's not what we read. But it sounds like that's what we just read. Here's why. Look with me in verse 6. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea in the dry land. The temple has been rebuilt, absolutely. We know that. They continued and they finished this temple. Yet my spirit will return, and my spirit will return behind the veil. It's a great promise to this nation during this time. Yes, you are my people, and all the nations will again at some point know it again. But the prophetic language has a greater redemptive and historical, and is historical in its proclamation. It's a, sorry, it's greater redemptive history is involved in its proclamation. The eyes of the reader, the hearts of the hearers are now gripped with the grandeur of eschatological voice of the creator of the universe. Eschatological meaning that great in-time view of the Lord. I am going to shake the foundations of this planet once again. The heavens are gonna shake. The mountains are going to crash. The sea is going to roar again when that voice from heaven that that's it all into space in the first place is going to speak again. This greater redemptive promise that's coming is right on the heels of yet, once more, in a little while. Oh, let every believer live with the great truth that this is coming and it's coming soon. Not some weird prophet on TV telling you that. Haggai in the Old Testament saying, as he speaks in God's stead, in a little while I'm coming. The latter glory of this house shall be greater. In a little while, the words have a soon to be fulfilled and also coupled with it uh, in this creative language, packed with a longer term, greater promise. And so one of the things that's helpful for me is when I was taught in a very brief way, but prophecy of the Old Testament often has, prophecy fires off and there's usually, usually a shorter term fulfillment. And yet, hang with the text, hang with the history, and you're going to see there is a greater fulfillment coming as well. And oh, what a sweet it is for those 70, 80-year-olds saying, oh, yes, a former glory, it's going to be returning. And how beautiful that is. But the word for you and I and the word of the prophet is, no, it's greater than that. Yes, that, and greater than that. Maybe you wonder why, but this is how these words, having that soon to be fulfilled, being coupled with that following creative language, having that longer term, greater promise, is greater redemption that is to come in swaddling clothes, born in the seemingly nothing little town of Bethlehem. The Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus, the Savior of the world, is coming. That latter glory, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the light. The glory of God has come to us. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus one day in heaven. And it describes heaven like this. There'll be no need for the sun in heaven because the lamb is gonna shine its light in heaven. Another beautiful picture of what the Old Testament refers to that Shekinah glory. Remember all of that light gathering up and out of the temple and disappearing from the people. Jesus, born in a manger, now racks the world in history. His light has now come to the hearts of men to save. Satisfying the wrath of God, Jesus is killed and buried and raised, raised himself from the grave on the third day, ascending the right hand of God the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to live. The Apostle Paul will say, when I was among you, I resolved to know nothing but what? The former glory? Or the glory of heaven to come? That's not what Paul says. Paul says, when I was with you, I resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is that latter glory now and to come and forevermore. So what is going to secure our future? So far, ask yourself, what's going to secure your future? Jesus has come and died for us. Jesus remains with us. Jesus will return for us. The greater glory is the cross of Christ. Now you're wondering, well, what about the temple? And how is Jesus this greater glory? Well, let's consider what Jesus says about this. Mark 13, verses 1 through 2. I love the disciples. These guys are awesome. Shocking that the Lord called them. But it's just like the Lord to call men who cannot do it without him. These guys, and they came out of the temple, verse 1 in Mark 13. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones. What wonderful buildings. Now you and I are like, what, 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 he, he doesn't get it. Well, he doesn't know that yet. He's with Jesus at the temple, and he's saying, look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. The temple had been rebuilt. The disciples, they get to see it now. That what they thought was the latter glory greater than the first, they thought that was the temple. Listen to what Jesus says. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is hard saying of Jesus. Sometimes they go after other statements that Jesus says, like, unless you hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. That's pretty hard. You know, for them, this is just as hard. Like, this was it. And Jesus is like, no, this one's going to be torn down too. But listen, John chapter 2. John chapter 2 Verse 18, and so the Jews said to him, you know, Jesus goes in and he drives out the guys wanting to set up a mall, essentially, in the temple. Okay, a first century mall, a little different. And he drives them out. And then the disciples, remember, the zeal for your house will consume me, referring to the pre-incarnate Jesus. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, what gives you the authority or whatever to drive out these people from the temple? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? You can highlight this in your Bible. If you don't like writing your Bible, I'm begging you, write in your Bible in Circle 20, 21. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Oh, there is a latter glory coming. And you and I have the joy of being able to say, and he came. The word describes Jesus as tabernacling among us. The God came, Emmanuel came in the flesh to na- to tabernacle among us. To temple as a verb, I know. Check me on that one. But to temple among us, Jesus is the greater glory, come in the flesh to save mankind. Paul says, I'll preach Christ and him crucified, because that's what the temple was for. You cannot go into the presence of God that is veiled from you. If you go in there without doing the right things, and you're not the right guy, death is immediate for you, and that was true. Those inner courts of the temple were full of blood, day after day after day after day after day, slaughtering animal after animal after animal after animal after animal after animal, animal, and Jesus In Hebrews, the word says, and they can never take away the sins of the world, but Jesus, one time and for all, sheds his blood and takes away the sins of men and women. The gladder glory is Christ who has come to save. Jesus, the temple, is the one that sacrifices himself for us the presence and glory of God is gathered up and departed. The presence and the glory of God returns in tabernacles among us. Jesus, the Savior, comes to us. Now, when we read in Revelation 18, we read these words. 1821, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Revelation 18, 11 through 16, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True and Righteousness. He judges and makes wars. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, and following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down these nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. 1 Corinthians 15, in a little while, in a little while, we shall be changed. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Death, later in verse 54, is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death. 20 20 and 21 Ever enough what's 2021 20, and 22 going to look like what does tomorrow hold for you and i here right now tomorrow i have no idea do you have any idea i don't know what waits us around the corner I don't know how many uh, funerals we're going to be standing at. I do not know. But there is one thing that we're certain of Jesus is with us right now. Jesus is empowering us right now. And Jesus is coming back one day. So we hear it in the text in Haggai it says, work, be strong, don't fear. Work, work, gather and work on the church. Build the church up and strengthen her. Work in the harvest field where this church has been planted. But the joy of what we've learned this morning is we work with one hand in a sense to the tool and our hearts gripping the glorious truths of the gospel that Christ has come. He remains and he will return. We never do our work without him. All we end up is in legalism, we will, All we'll do is end up in effort, but in this case, we have the good news of Christ, and so he says, work, but work with your hand firmly gripping the gospel of Christ. Let your hearts be encouraged, and then that's not all the text leaves us. John, you can now come up as we close with this. Verse 9, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Will it not? Says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord. It seems like a radical shift in the text. All this grand and glorious creative language talking about the future in the amazing, the amazing coming of the Savior that would come and does come. And it says, I will give you peace. All you and I know without Christ is unrest and turmoil and future destruction. But with Christ, right now, no matter what tomorrow holds, I bring you peace. Jesus, after the resurrection, appears on the other side of a locked door. I guess he gets to do that. His first words to his disciples, I bring my peace. I give my peace to you. Peace be yours. If you'd stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we are, we are surprised, we're surprised that when you departed from the temple, that while your presence of favor drew up and away from your people, that you didn't turn from heaven and destroy this planet and remove it from history and to blot us out before your sight for all eternity. We're surprised. We've hated you. We've warred against you. We've blasphemed you. And you came. And you said, remember, former glory. Oh, there's a greater glory. There's a latter glory coming. And it's coming in my son, Jesus. Jesus, you come and you save us. You surprise us with grace and mercy. You show your goodness and your favor. It's all undeserved. And then you promise to remain with us. And you promise that you will return for us. So let us now look back. Let us look back in a redemptive way. Let us look back at the fact that you did remain and that your sovereign presence remained with us, that your sovereign grace remained with your people and you would not depart. Jesus, thank you for bearing all of our sins on your body on the cross. I pray for every person present this morning that needs to know that this greater and this uh, latter glory that's coming is truly theirs, no matter how bad things have become, no matter how bad their sin was or is. Encourage every soul present with hope that's found in your surprised smile. Let the joy that's fixed on your face for eternity on us because we're in Christ. Let us get a glimpse of it today. Oh, and the day's gonna come we'll see you face to face. What a day. (laughs) There are some present that need this hope because of how far And how deep the darkness has overwhelmed them. Rescue them, Lord, out of your mercy. And shine the light of your presence and favor on them. Lord, if suffering has pulled them away, let them see the white knuckle grip that you have on them in Christ. You will never let them. So now we turn, longing, longing to be with you, wanting to get in the boat with you, knowing that one thing is certain, in Christ, you will not depart from us, you will always be with